We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Here in Philippians, we have one of the most amazing passages of Scripture. Chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It talks about where Jesus humbles himself. It's the integrity of meekness before honor. On Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Talk about a serious look at who Jesus is and what he purposed to do and how and why. It's all found here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Welcome to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We're taking a look at this passage of Scripture in a message called, He Humbled Himself, the Integrity of Meekness Before Honor. As we begin, we note the fact that Jesus is the form of God personified. A lot of scripture to get under our belts today, so let's dive right in. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. If you will, turn back in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. You can plop your Bibles on your laps or your iPods, your iPads, your phones, whatever instrument you use to set your eyes on the Word of God, you may do that as we continue our reflection upon what we call theologically Christology. You heard that this morning in Sunday school as Stephen was working through the book of 1 John. And by way of practical application, this is what we were doing last week as we began to consider the relationship between the Old Testament servant Moses and our mediator and high priest Jesus Christ. And we entitled the message last week, Moses, what else? Meekness. And Messiah. What we were doing last week was trying to break up the follow ground of our hearts and our minds and to begin to cultivate a thought around the idea of humility resulting in meekness, because meekness is what is necessary for you and I to have a near and dear relationship with God. That meekness becomes that commodity, that quality, that characteristic that actually joined Moses to Messiah. To Christ, that the Bible says that of all the men on the earth, there were only two men to whom the idea of meekness was ascribed as a superlative virtue. The first was who? Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, God himself assigned to Moses the attribute of meekness. And as you're going to learn, when the proverb says, let another man praise you and not your own lips, don't ever tell anybody you're meek. The moment you say it, you cancel out meekness. Okay? I'm meek. Now, there is one in the universe who had the right to attribute that to himself. And in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28, he did. I am meek and lowly, and you'll find rest to your soul. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And that was Jesus. 
So what we're doing right now over the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to have you landing now in a New Testament passage of Scripture, because we learned last week that there were two men who we would easily argue were the most famous men in the world, particularly the world of God. In the Old Testament, his name is what? Moses. In the New Testament, his name is what? Messiah, Jesus. They are the two most prominent names that the world has been impacted by in terms of uh, theological revelation on the part of God in terms of God's will being deposited to humanity. Moses is that human author by which the Ten Commandments were given to us, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses are five books that Moses is having been attributed to have written. And then the whole of the Tanah, that is the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi that you happen to know are how many books? Now, I know y'all know, 39 books. And then we have the New Testament, do we not? From Matthews to Revelation. And I know y'all know how to add, right? 39 plus what equals 66? 27. Now, if y'all don't know that, put your Bible down. Don't even tell nobody you got a Bible. Don't even tell nobody you got a Bible. If you can't add 29 and 37, don't even say it. Now, I'm being facetious, but the point here is this. Many of us, by the grace of God, have the habit of coming to church week in and week out because we believe that God speaks to us. We believe that we hear from God and that we appropriately and rightly, because of his mercy and grace in our life, worship him. I was thinking prior to getting up, did any of you give God anything by way of worship as we went through the prayer and the scripture reading and the Psalms? Or were you, as I stated to you several weeks ago, merely a passive observer of what was going on? Did you yield from the heart thanksgiving and praise and the fruit of your lips unto God because of Jesus Christ in your behalf, redeeming you and drawing you near to God? Or are you still expecting something from God even right now? Because what we learned a few weeks ago is that worship starts with us giving something to God. Not just with you coming saying, what can I get on my plate? Is pastor going to feed me today? That's consumerism. I'm sorry it is. True worshipers bring to God what God gave to them. And what God has given to us is Christ. And what God has given to us is the word of God. And what God has given to us is the Holy Ghost. What God has given to us is himself. And we give him back to him when we praise and honor God. I know that's a rebuke, but it needs to be. Because once we come up against the preaching of the word, which is where we are now, And you know that don't happen but a few minutes after worship starts here. A lot of churches, it's 45 minutes, an hour and 20. When that man going to start preaching? Hour and a half down the road. Well, we actually believe in the centrality of preaching as one of the central means by which we worship. Where the Holy Ghost stirs up our hearts and mind by way of exposition of the word of God. But I do want to help you begin the practice of making sure when you get up on Sunday, your heart is already worshiping God. By the time you get to church, you're white hot. And the spirit of God is already having worked in your heart so that when the word comes off the page by the teacher, you are already in communion with the true and the living God. It's not my job to wipe the cobwebs off your ears when you sit in that chair. It's your job to approach the throne of God with praise and thanksgiving. I was glad when they said unto the Lord, let us go into the house of God. 
come before his gates with thanksgiving and with praise. And that's the attitude you have to have. Now, we are at the center of worship today. And as I stated, we're dealing with the concept of Christology. And that has to do with the central revelation of the person and work of Jesus Christ, which for us is the uh, stay and staple of our life. We love him because he first loved us. And we learned a lot of things this morning of which you will hear echoed to some degree here now. I want you to settle in because what we are working with is a very, very, not only controversial, but very prominent portion of scripture in Philippians chapter two, of which I want to build a framework today. I want to build a framework around Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8 today, and then we want to go deeper next week before the table to understand more fully of what we are dealing with. We have been dealing with biblical theology, and that is history according to Jesus. And we did learn week that God requires that you and I have a disposition of humility and meekness in order for him to dwell with us. Isaiah 57, 15, can you pull it up quickly? Help us understand that the kind of person that God dwells with, abides with, fellowships with, has to be somebody like his son. In fact, the reality is the only people that God's going to dwell with are people that like what God likes. And what God likes is his son. The reason he likes his son is because his son loves him. And his son obeyed him. And his son exhibits all of the qualities and attributes of God so that God can be known by men. How honorable is a son that can take the reputation of his daddy and spread it all around the world and cause other people to love his daddy because of his son. That's the point I'm getting at. Are y'all with me? Do you hear it in Isaiah chapter 57, 15? For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits what? Eternity. Whose name is what? I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and what? Humble spirit. That's what we mean by meekness. Of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. That's a promise, saints. When you and I are given grace to walk with God, you know what God promises to do? Revive you when you get low. Revive you when your energy runs out. Revive you when you are exhausted. That's a promise from God. Here's what I want you to do as we get ready to get into our text. Look up all of the Bible verses that talk about the promises that are given to the meek. You will be amazed at all the promises that are given to the meek. I'm going to just give you one, can I? The meek shall inherit the earth. I can give you many more. God will strengthen the hope of the meek. Now, what we said last week was humility leading to meekness is that chief characteristic by which servants are known. And the servanthood concept is the alien concept that you and I as Americans have to learn how to overcome alienation to the idea of servanthood. You learned it this morning. We are naturally selfish. We are inclined to our own goals and own plans. And the only time we talk to God is to get him to sign off on it. Is that true? Well, that is the furthest thing in the world from being a servant. Now, there's a part of you, if if you've been born again, that knows God has called me to be a servant. And there is an aspect of us that yearns for it when we grow in Christ to discover our gifts so we can apply them in a way of service. Is that right? 
Lord, show me who I am in Christ. Show me my gifts and my qualities so I can live life to the highest by serving you, by serving your people and by serving the world. Is that what you aspire to? Greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends, right? This is the evidence of love that we what? Give. And this is where we are as we are thinking about right now the motivation for the idea of meekness and humility. And I told you last week what meekness is, is a fruit or a byproduct of God working in your life. Right? Isn't that what I said? Where God is shaping you and forming you and molding you and transforming you through, fettering you in, holding you back, restraining you, dealing with you as one who has the capacity of a potter to mold and shape you on the wheel of his purpose and plan. And we don't always like the fetters of God, do we? But we do like the outcome, don't we? I know in faithfulness, oh God, you have afflicted me that I might learn your statutes. We've come to discover over time that when God restrains and says no and says wait and all that, that's to keep me back from me because me gets me in trouble. And when it's all over with, I'm thankful because there is a new attribute or a new character budding up in my life that wasn't there before. A little bit more patient, a little bit more objective, a little bit more clear headed, not so cantankerous. Not so narrow-minded, not so myopic. Thank God for that. That's called maturity. It's called growing. Are you with me? But what we are dealing with now is the essential revelation of the Son of God as the motive and basis for you and I either having a relationship with God, which we may not have, or sustaining that relationship by taking up the model that's before us in our text. In the book of Philippians, not to to belabor it, we are dealing with a man who loves the church, the Apostle Paul, who has dealt with this church of Philippi all his ministry. Now, Philippi wasn't a large church. It wasn't one of those super fabulous churches. It wasn't a wealthy, prominent church. It was simply a faithful church. That's the attribution that I want. It wasn't one of the most famous churches in the world, but what Philippi had was that it knew Paul, loved Paul, and in spite of all the controversy and conflicts and hell that Paul went through, Philippi was with Paul all the way. Now that's called love. When you got a partner that rides with you in your ups and your downs, in your ins and your outs, and when everybody's talking bad about you, and then when you end up in prison, they still with you? They're going to peel off money, peel off food, peel off clothes and send it to Brother Paul because they knew whatever was going on in his life, God's hand was still on Paul. That's what he said. He who has begun a good work in you will what? Perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I thank God, he said, for you because you have continued with me in the gospel since the beginning. We all need friends like that, don't we? And now what Paul does, having heard that the Philippians are dealing with some controversial issues in the church, like all churches have, he gives in Philippians chapter two, verses one through four, what I call 10 sets of instructions, 10 imperatives, 10 mandates. We will not deal with them today. We'll deal with them next week. 10 instructions of which he gives them, and then he gives them one set of illustrations by which those instructions are to be initiated. In other words, he goes from a lesser mandate to a greater model in order to initiate in you and I a motive to obey. Did y'all get that? 
a lesser mandate. Love one another. Be of the same mind. This, that, and the other. And here's the reason why. You have a man who loved you enough to come from glory, to go to hell, and go back to glory, and to take you there with him. On the grounds of what he did, be motivated to walk in the mind of Christ. Y'all got that? We'll unpack that more next week, but I want you to deal with what we have learned and discovered theologically in the framework of verses 6 through verse 11 is what has historically been called the Carmen Christi. That's a Latin term for the Song of Messiah. Verses 6 through 9 is a song. It's framed in a set of prose. And whether you know it or not, there are a lot of passages in your Bibles that are actually songs. The prophets constantly worshiped God and often wrote songs. Moses did. Exodus 15 is a song. Him and Miriam and Aaron wrote Exodus 15, how that God had delivered them out of Egypt and destroyed all their foes. Psalm 90 is a psalm that Moses writes. I'll touch on that in a moment. And there are several psalms in the New Testament that you may not have recognized because you're not quite familiar with prose and stanzas and, and phraseologies that are put together in a rhythmic fashion. But the verses of uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, are asserting a psalmic structure. So they call it the Carmen Christi. Lot to be said about that. This song, however, is radically Christological. It is radically Christ-centered. It deals with aspects of who Christ is, as I said earlier, as a motive for the believer to obey. Now, that's essential for you to get. Here's the first thing I want to say. The grounds upon which you and I are to obey God is the fact that Christ obeyed him for us and left us a model to follow after what he did, not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of love. That we obey him because we love him because he first loved us. That obedience should flow from the confidence that you know that the one who took your place perfectly obeyed for you so that now your obedience flows from his obedience. And that's the whole idea of imperatives in the scripture. And what we want to deal with today is the proposition, he humbled himself. The integrity of what? Meekness before what? Honor. He humbled himself. Now, I was thinking about that title, and I want to make this observation. I think you'll agree with it. There's nobody in the world, no human being in the world since the fall of Adam, who knows anything about humbling themselves. The proposition that we are to humble ourselves is a proposition of futility on our part. That even though the scripture says, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, that he will exalt you in due season, that is a commandment you cannot keep. You and I don't have the ability within ourselves to humble ourselves. Does that make sense? Now, God gives us commandments all the time that we can't do in order as his children to call on him to help us do what we can't do for ourselves. But I'm here to share with you, when you hear that imperative in 1 Peter 5, and you hear that imperative in James chapter 4, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. I am taking you right back to Isaiah 57, 15. It's because God wants to dwell with you. And God resists the proud and gives grace only to the what? Only to the humble. And when you think about that word humble from now on, think about Jesus. He is the only person in the universe who could, watch this, humble himself. And when he did it, he had help along the way 
in order that the purpose for which he humbled himself would ultimately be accomplished. So as we deal with our text, here's what I want you to think about. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through, through 11 have what we might call five main categories. Verse 6 can be described as a divine reputation. Verse 7 can be described as a divine humiliation. Verse 8 and 9 can be described as a divine propitiation. And verses 9 through 11 can be described as a divine exaltation. These are four categories that you'll see flowing out of verses 6 through 11 if you follow them carefully. A divine reputation giving way to a divine humiliation resulting in a divine propitiation and gloriously culminating in a divine exaltation. And I'm going to give you one more to tie to that. A triune cooperation. Did y'all just get that? So this work of reputation to humiliation to propitiation to exaltation is not merely the work of one person, but a triune cooperation. As we work through the text today and then next week, you're going to see this if the Lord is pleased to open your eyes. Now, let's begin with our first point, which comes from Philippians 2, verse 6. Look at the verse carefully with me. What you are engaged in today, whether you know it or not, is the mediation of the word of God by which the spirit of God speaks to the people of God and transforms their lives through the word of God. For those of you who do not know it, preaching the word is the only way your life is changed. You cannot know God in a saving way without God's word being revealed to your soul. Speculation will never get you into, the, into, the, into heaven. Speculation and theories and notions will never allow admittance into glory to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. And the Bible says, if you continue in my word, then are you my what? Disciples indeed, and you will know the truth and the truth will what? So the people of God who have stood the test of time and been able to endure tribulation and overcome evils have been men and women in whom the word of God has abided in their lives. This is why we love the preaching of the word. Spirit of God, help somebody today to see the glory of God in the person of Jesus. My first line is a divine reputation, a divine reputation. Say that with me, a divine reputation. What Paul does after he gives the imperatives to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, he immediately opens up with the Carmen Christi by saying who. This here is what we call a pronoun, personal pronoun, and that who is who? Jesus. Jesus being in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Stop right there. Do you notice that the Apostle Paul does not debate? He does not argue. He does not defend the deity of Christ here. He simply asserts it as if it was a foregone conclusion among the people of God. Have you noticed that? Right. So in churches where the question is, who is Jesus? You are on a shaky foundation, brother. 
You are on a troubled foundation if your struggle is, is Jesus God? Is he the son of God? Is he Messiah? Does he bear the attributes of God? Does he bear the essence and nature of God? Does he bear the subsistence of the divine nature? If you're asking those questions, you don't know Jesus. You have not yet seen him in his glory. People who have a certain knowledge of who Jesus is never, ever doubt that he is very God of very God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768. Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again, for directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.